0: I want you to turn your Bibles in the New Testament this morning to Hebrews. We're going to go to chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We have a lot of folk traveling. We have three or four families in Florida, Florida today that did a national competition out of, uh, I think, Yukon High School. Uh, but anyway, they're traveling. Let's just pray for their safety and, and uh, all that, that are traveling today. There is, in our nation, something that I think we all could, could of course, see that's obvious. And it, it's just, it's not anything new, but it's certainly increased, at least the volatility, and maybe I should say the voice of it, across our nation. It concerns me deeply. There is a movement today in our world And in our country, that is seeking to dissuade our society about Jesus. It is programmed to dissuade our society about all of Christianity. There's a major move to push God outside to to dissuade us about even the Word of God itself. Their voice says it's archaic, it is not applicable to today, that we don't need it. And basically what that means is we want to be God unto ourselves. We want to run our own lives, do what we want to do. We want to make up our own minds about issues that God has set in eternity. And that movement, ladies and gentlemen, is it's showing itself all through the political world of our day. It's showing itself through the education system and through our businesses. And I want you to know, if if the Christian voice is minimized or silenced, America is in trouble. And I'm not trying to be negative, but I will be a realist. So I want to talk to us today about something that's far, probably very... For most, most of us, I trust very rudimentary, very, very foundational, even basic. But I want you, everyone in this room under the age of, let's just say 40 years of age, I want you to know something that is eternally an, an absolute fact. Though we're teaching in our so-called higher learning institutions, there's no absolute truth. I'm going to show you an absolute truth today. So I want us to read in Hebrews 4, but let me just kind of give you a quick lead up to it. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and the first part of chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, talks about Christ Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. It talks about the fact that Jesus Christ, because of who he was, the Son of God, because of The sacrifice that he made for us of himself. And on and on it talks about the fact that Christ is superior to all prophets. Now some claim to be equal with Christ because they say well we too are sons of God. Well let me tell you in a sense we are all the offspring of God. But it doesn't mean that we are deity. The difference and the reason for the superiority of Christ is because He was the only begotten Son of God. Amen. Yes, when He came here, He was called the Son of Man because He came through the veil of a virgin that He might identify with humanity. No other prophet came from heaven to live with us. Amen. Superior in this fact that He is the supreme priest. No other priest has accomplished what Christ accomplished. And then the writer says he was even superior to Moses and all the works that he did. So when we arrive at our scripture, he continues and he says this about Christ. Verse 14 of chapter 4. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. How many of you want to be in that crowd called we? I want to be in that group, don't you? Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's talking about his resurrection and ascension. Jesus, the Son of God, let us, who are in the household of faith, let us hold fast our confession. I want to declare to you, it's not just words. It's how you live your life and how obedient you are to God. That's your confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Jesus knew all about what it was to have all the temptations of humanity and all the pressures and all the troubles, all the things that go along with that. Tempted as we are, yet, notice what the Spirit declared, without sin. With that in place, the Hebrew writer says, Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, thank you for your word. So when our present world tries to dissuade our entire society by politics and powers and economics and talent and movies and educations and everything that's sown into try to turn our whole society against Christ Christianity and the word of God I think it's important we ask ourselves how do we respond And I want to speak this morning on our all sufficient savior So how are we going to respond? What's the best way that a Christian should respond to this movement to dissuade us and put God in the peripheral and behind us and not just act like he doesn't exist? I will tell you one thing about the United States of America. Whether we like it or not and whether all the liberals and all those people out there say that that we were not Christian. We may not be near the Christian nation that we used to be today. But this entire constitution, everything about our nation was born out of Judeo-Christian values written on thus saith the word of God. Our first school books were the Bible. Read your history. It's important. And we've sown to the wind, and I think America's going to reap the whirlwind. Albeit, I will tell you, God knows how to take care of His people. I want to talk to you about this sufficient Savior. Here's how we should respond to the dissuasion movement today. You and I, the best way to respond is to genuinely, genuinely live the life. And, and life and lip should match that used to say walk and talk should match. How many of you believe that? I think we're supposed to be real. That means we don't have any choices about how we live. We don't have the choices about how we live. We are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. God calls us to live in submission and obedience to him in his will. That means we don't have a choice about how we live our life. We don't have a choice or not whether we pay our tithe. We don't have a choice or not what we do in in our life. We are bought with a price. And if we're disobedient, ladies and gentlemen, we're not living what this generation needs. Because if we live what God called us to live, if we're truly a mirror of Christ, we will affect with God's Spirit in us, we will affect the lives of those who do not understand around us. But if we are as selfish as this world, if we are as self-centered and tell God what we will and won't do or what we're willing and not willing to do, we're no different than the world and we have no effect. There's no sugar on that pill, but it needs to be said. And maybe no, it just got quiet. We have no right to call ourselves Christians if we decide we're going to do whatever we want to against the Word of God. So when we say we have this priest and we do that, it's obedient servants who are responsible to witness in a last day. I'll say it, amen. But what do we have to show? What do we have to show? What can we point to? What can we point this generation? So I want to go to Scripture, and it's over in Luke, but we won't turn. I hope you know the story about Christ was on his way to pray for a very sick young lady. And he was interrupted by a lady that had been ill for 12 years, and she had spent every dime she had on physicians, and here's this mass of people accompanying the Christ through the streets of the city, all the disciples around trying to move him through the crowd, but in that crowd was that lady who for 12 years was very ill, and she was weakened, and she made up her mind, if I can just touch the hem of the garment of the Christ, I know that I can be healed. God give us that kind of faith today. I don't know how you see it, but I see it. Here's all this crowd, and Christ is walking, and this little lady in her weakened condition, pushing, pushing, striving to get there, and I think she's in a a sea of of robes, and she finally in a sea of sandals or whatever their footwear was, and she finally, to me, gets close enough to fall on her knees and reach through a mass of legs and touch the hymn of the master and instantly he knew healing virtue had left him and he stopped the whole processional and said who touched me master was the response from all of them all these many and who you ask the question who touched me but you see there's it it isn't the physical touch it's the fact that somebody in faith touched the healing power and the omnipotent power of God himself and it changed her forever You see, the world, it just locked into strictly a physical or even a scientific concept. They do not perceive the things of the spirit. And yet, we love to de- 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 delve into the phenomenal or what do they call it? a paranormal. And ladies and gentlemen, this book can tell you all about the paranormal. It can tell you all about, let's see, what it's called ancient aliens. <laughs> Okay, so you know I watched it a time or two. (laughs) It's, It's important to know. I want to declare to you, where is the border of Christ's garment today? Where is the hem of His garment today? And can we in 2019, in this late hour, in great need of the presence of God, can we touch the hem of God? Are we poorer today because Christ has left earth and gone to the Father? Do we have less God today than we had when he walked through Jerusalem? Do we have an absentee God that's just somewhere in millions of miles away in some place and we believe in ethereal things? Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, said this, seeing we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, a priest who knows all about human frailty, all about human tenderness. That is a fact, ladies and gentlemen. The resurrection was a fact, and the ascension was a fact, and the writer, through the Spirit of God, said he is there. Years and years ago in an ancient world they had what they call forerunners. It was a little tiny boat that navigated its way through narrow and even rough waters and rocky places to get to the shore. And they connected that little forerunner boat to the mothership. And that little forerunner boat would make its way and be a guide for the mothership so that it could dock without damage. Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, is our forerunner. Navigating you and me safely through the waters of this life, I want to tell you something. He makes it possible for all followers to arrive home safely. So I want to make this point number one. Are we left with the leftover God Are we left with a leftover God? What he used to do and what we read of the history. But I want to declare to you, the writer of Hebrews says, we have its present tense and seeing that he has done these things, I want to tell you something. Our living Lord still works in 2019 amongst his people. Believers, by privileges that we have in prayer. Let us all go up to the throne, up to the mercy seat, up to where God dispenses his grace. Let us cast our present day sorrows. Let us take our present day heartbreak breaks. Let us take our present day tears and our needs. Bring your illness. Bring your sin-sick soul. Bring your longings. Bring everything about your life that you don't have answers for and in faith present it to him and touch the hem of his garment and this much I know, God will give you an answer for what you need. It is true. Throughout the ages since his risen Lord, and while he is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, he has been doing for this last generation and all those from that time till now, he has been doing the same wonders with the same power that he had when he walked in Judea and Galilee. For this Christ, by his Father, has been declared he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's the same. So I want to I ask some questions. I wonder how many millions and millions of crushed hearts have heard him say, come to me. I wonder how many millions of sinful souls have heard him say, be clean, be whole. I wonder how many penitents who've come in humility and meekness and bowed before him and say, God, forgive me. I wonder how many have heard him say, forgiven. I wonder how many millions have been grieving for loved ones who have gone before because there's great loss in the present. I wonder how many of those millions have heard him say, I am the resurrection and because I live, you shall live also. I wonder how many trembling, fearful disciples through all these centuries have heard him say, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. I want to tell you, I am here. I am an absolute present-day miracle. Seven Times, ladies and gentlemen, my life was threatened to be taken. Seven times I am a miracle standing in front of you because I have a high priest sitting beside the right hand of the Father who made intercession for me. I'm one of those that he said, come to me when I had a crushed heart. I, I I was sinful and I went to him and he said you're clean. I understand what it meant to repent and he said I forgive you and I cast your sins as far as the east from the west never to remember it against you again. I've been grieved because I lost my grandparents and friends and my dad and so many on and he said to me I am the resurrection and those that are in me shall live also for eternity. I was one of the ones who've been many times fearful like the disciples trembling and I've heard him say to me, Brooks, in the midst of my worst hour, don't let your heart be troubled. I've overcome this world. He said, Pastor, why are you so excited about it? I will tell you why. Because he walks with me and he talks with me and I know his voice and he speaks to me and he does what for me what I cannot do for myself. He has answers I'm not intelligent enough to think about. He has ways and means that he has blessed my path because I have put him first in my life. Through the centuries, the voice of our Lord has been speaking peace and comfort and hope. And his presence, ladies and gentlemen, is what always bestows it. Because I want to tell you, when God reaches down and does something for one of his children... His presence comes with it. Can I tell you the reason this building is here? Because one day I lived about another five miles west of here. I was seeking the Lord for the future of this church in all kinds of turmoil inside of me. Lord, I'm the leader. I need vision. Lord, I I need direction. What am I going to do? And driving right down that road you call Northwest Highway for about three minutes, the Lord came in his presence in my pickup truck, and I want to tell you something. These years later, the reason this building's here is because of that conversation when he walked with me and talked with me. The throne of majesty, the throne of glory, The throne of righteousness is to we who are twice born. Not everybody that says they're a Christian. But we who are genuinely twice born men and women and young people, that throne of majesty and righteousness is to us a throne of grace. And then the writer says, my second point is this. He said, come boldly. It is such a... I I, want to use this as an illustration can you fathom I'm not talking politically here I just want to just consider what if in 15 seconds from now through that let's just say that door right over there came three or four secret service men and they came and sat right on our front seat the president of the United States what would change in this room don't you think the atmosphere in this place would change? Don't you think that your mind would go, Oh, is that the president? What is he doing here? Why, why, why of all the churches, us, and the whole atmosphere? Oh, I mean, it, whether you think it'd be better or worse, that's up to you, but I'm telling you it would be. At least, at least it's not the average Sunday. Right? Don't kid yourself. It would affect us. But think about this. The Christ, when he's resurrected, he appeared to the disciples. The scripture said they were, they were in a room, all the windows shut, the doors locked in ten kinds of ways for fear that the Jews would come because they had identified with him. And the scripture plainly says, Jesus came to them. The door's being shut. Let let me, let me, let me paraphrase that for you. He walked right through the walls. And they saw him. Don't tell me it didn't change the atmosphere in that room. And you can be tough guys you want to be, but if Jesus walked right behind me in this curtain and he suddenly appeared to us here, if you think it wouldn't change the atmosphere of this house, you'd think. Can I tell you something? He does come here every Sunday. And so nobody should have to encourage you to clap your hands. Nobody should have to encourage you to sing. Nobody should have to encourage you to give the Lord his tithe, to be obedient at your work to rule and run your house, sir, madam, in a godly way. To be a witness everywhere you go and to this world who says that we have far less God to show him that we have a God to whom we have given all and we die every day at the cross. But here's what he said, come boldly. Wow. It, let, me, let me help us with some words. I, I can't fathom this the greatness of God in his presence. He says, come to me as you are. Say what you feel. Ask what you need. Pour out your heart before me. Confess your sin. Confess your fears. Confess your wandering thoughts. Confess your disobedience. How fully, ladies and gentlemen, and how openly may we speak to the God in the name of He who went through the human veil, all the sorrow, all the trial, all the heartache, the bludgeon-beating death, just so that you and I can know Him. And we'd better not treat Him like less God. We do not serve a leftover God. Amen? As a matter of fact, he said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come boldly. Here's what he says in another place, he said, draw near with a 20% assurance. Okay, it said, draw near with a 25% assurance. Come on, Bible scholars, help me. Draw near what? With a full assurance. It means you're welcome. At the greatest throne in the world, in creation, the highest court in all the universe. And God says to you, you come. And don't just come mealy-mouthed or don't come in fear. You come boldly to me because we're in relationship with each other. come without reservation. I want to tell you something about this Lord of ours that's sufficient. His presence possesses omnipotence. One author in the Old Testament asked the question, is there anything too hard for God? And some 700 years later, Jeremiah answered it and said, there is nothing too hard for God." The government of your eternity is upon his shoulders. How many of you know the scripture? The government of peace is on his shoulders. The government of mine and your eternity is on his shoulders. And let me tell you something the Father always hears his intercessory prayer for you and me. Come boldly. Let me put it this way, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus belongs to the sinner believer. He belongs to us. From from his infancy in in his birth in Bethlehem to the Garden of Gethsemane to his agony on the sinner cross to his ascension and his sitting at the Father's right hand, his obedient life, his prayers, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his ascension, we're all given to us. I want to say something. Jesus is ours. He is our possession. He gave himself to us and for us. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want to tell you something. If you are a genuine twice-born Christian today, I want you to get this in your spirit. He is for I want you to say it out loud. Say this. God is for me. Say Say it again. God is for me. Say it again. God is for me. Again, God is for me. Satan will tell you God's always against you. He'll always try to make you doubt it and push it aside. And his whole business is about unbelief. Get this in your spirit. God is for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. Pastor, why are you saying that? Because we need to combat the lie out of the pit of hell, a man called Satan, that will destroy you mentally if he can. even in your disobedience and even in our unloveliness and even in our best and our worst, God is for us because he paid the price to purchase us. I wish I had my iPad with my little mark so I could draw on the screen. Some of you have seen this before, so just use your imagination. I'd like to write on the screen. I'm a great artist. All I can do is draw stick people. So let's draw a stick person over here, and over top of that person, I want you to write person. Here's a, here's a stick figure, and above it, write person. Then over here, I want to write another stick figure just like it, and I want it to write over top of it, performance. And here's where Satan defeats so many people, and that is this. He thinks that that. The value of that person is based on performance. But I want to tell you something. God loves you, the person, regardless of your performance. Didn't say he approved of it, not going to let you by with disobedience, but he loves you. And parents, that's important for us to know. So let's get this straight, young people. Just because sometimes mom and dad doesn't approve of your performance. Doesn't mean we don't love you, the person. I want to tell you, no matter what happens to you, no matter what you do, we may be heartbroken and we may be torn apart by your performance, but I want to tell you, you'll never take a mom dad's love off of you. Parents say amen. Amen. It is so true. It is so true. God is for you. We have, ladies and gentlemen, in 2019, an all-sufficient Savior. So I'm going to end with this. What are we going to present to our world? Are we going to present a less life for a less God? The Scripture says, come boldly. And here's what I want to, the message I want you to get. We have an all-sufficient Savior. And I want to tell you this. Be with Him before you do for Him. Be with Him before you do for Him. I was listening to Christian radio uh, yesterday. And the little, there's a lady, this jockey said something like this. She said, someone said this. I believe I have it right. She said, if you're not hungry for God, you must be full of yourself. Wow. That comes with a punch, doesn't it? What are we going to present to this world? Of half-obedience, a half-effort, a, a, a well, just on my own, I'll make my own decisions, and then we look like the world and act like the world, and there's no difference in us at all, and wonder why we're not affecting our society. I want to tell you, go all the way back. I can show you in the book of Genesis where God said, I will put a difference between the pure and the vile. I mean, that's at the Book of Beginnings. If your life's let, let me say this. I've said it so many times. Most of you know, I promise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit. Life never turns out right without God. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how intelligent. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how much fame and fortune you have. Life never turns out right without God. It can't because we're different than animals. We, we're not just a soul in a body. We're a soul and a body and a spirit. That made us image bearers of God, and if God's not in that spirit part of you, ladies and gentlemen, life doesn't turn out right. D.O. Moody said there is in every human being a God-shaped vacuum, and only God can fill that. I believe that's true. So what are we going to present? Here's what I want us to present. I want us to present an available God He's not some millions of miles away, just not caring. He's not sitting looking in judgment and every time we make a mistake say, I'll get you now. He's an available God. Secondly, he is an anxious to help God. Thirdly, he is an everyday practical for practical living God. Fourthly, He is a Father that loves and loves and loves and loves and loves and loves and loves. loves. I'm ever glad you're personally acquainted with Him. I've been told at times I'm fanatical that I get out of balance. I may do it. But if I do, it's gonna be for an eternal cause. Amen. Nope. And I, I love basketball and football, and this afternoon, this evening, we're going to seize a high talent and all that, but I want to tell you something. What is this? Super Bowl 53? What is it? How many? What is it? 53? L still means 50? Good, I'm glad. <laughs> Roman numerals. Super Bowl 53. I'm going to try to watch it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to appreciate all the talent God gave people and their dedication to it. But I want to tell you something. When my Christ hung on a cross and poured his blood out for me and died, and they put him in the ground, and he came back, and he resurrected, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father today, that's a heap more to be fanatical about than a football. He said, Pastor, you against football? Absolutely not. Me and Joyce Stroud were talking before service. We, we know what it is on Saturday morning to wake up and feel like somebody beat us with a hammer all over our bodies <laughs> playing football through high school. But let's keep our priorities right.